Why would we bother to go back to a book that was written 2,600 years ago? The Bible itself will turn you atheists faster than anything. When you take the scriptures disclosed over centuries, 40 different writers, 66 books, and you see the prophetic schema, immediately you see the supernatural. This is madness. This is madness. Who can believe this? I believe in God on the basis of rational evidence. Faith and reason are not contrary to each other. Science doesn't know everything. That is still no grounds for saying, oh well, magic did it. Good to be here with you this morning at Owasso First Church, and it's also good to be able to welcome in at this time uh, your other two campuses, Stone Canyon and Vertigris, and to bring you greetings from Ozark Christian College. So uh, it's always nice to meet with folks that love Jesus and want to do life his way. Hey, I want to applaud your church leadership. I don't see this series very often. Uh, Tackling some of the toughest issues of our day, I think we'd all say, yes, that's got to be right. A day in which things like live and let live, and the idea that tolerance is just the supreme king of all virtues, nothing is truly true, and at the same time, anything and everything can be true, and can't we all just get along, and please don't judge, and the bumper sticker I followed into town today, coexist. Did I get it all in? <laughs> and you're in a series that is lauding real thinking and the truthfulness of the Bible. And next week, you're going to deal with the relationship between faith and science. And right in the middle of all that, I have been assigned the topic by your leadership team, the exclusivity of Jesus. Jesus is the way. I might ought to give you a little bit of insight into my personality for the first 30 seconds here before we get going. Uh, I do not like conflict. I like to be liked. I don't like to say the tough things unless I absolutely have to. In my 20-year preaching ministry before I went to Ozark, I was a lousy counselor. Let's just get that out of the way. If you've got any issues this morning, don't ask me about them on the way out. I'm, I'm worthless. And the reason I was so worthless as a counselor is because I have trouble getting to the tough stuff. You know, eventually, after six times of them saying, I've got this, I, I do this, I do this, pretty soon, a good counselor eventually has to say, you've got to stop doing that. And I, and I love people so much, I'm so pastoral and caring, it just kills me to do that. I'm the kind of uh, counselor that if you, if you came into my office and said, hey, Griff, I've, I've got something to confess, I, I've recently murdered my grandmother, I'd say, listen, we've all got issues. The important thing is that we not dwell on the past and we move forward. <laughs> what I'm saying, believers in Jesus, is this. I understand the temptation to sort of just simply withdraw and be quiet and not push it because I don't want to be considered narrow-minded and harsh. And you probably don't want to be considered that way either. It first struck me a few years back in my preaching ministry when a brand new middle school social studies teacher who had joined our church about a year earlier was not very far into her first year of teaching about places and cultures all over the world, and she came in to talk to me, and here's what she said. What am I supposed to say when students ask if all religions and all approaches to God are okay? 
She was in a setting that did not look very friendly upon taking a strong stance for Jesus. And the truth is, you and I live in a culture in which it's becoming increasingly difficult to take a strong stand about anything, except that it's absolutely right not to ever take a strong stand. Senator Bernie Sanders recently made news by suggesting that President Trump's nominee for Deputy Director of the White House Office of Management, Russell Vaught, is unfit for that position, and here was Mr. Sanders, here was Senator Sanders' reason, because Mr. Vaught is a Christian who believes Jesus is the way to God, the way to God. And Senator Sanders concluded that what that would translate into would be a bias against citizens who had other persuasions. Ravi Zacharias, and by the way, on these kinds of issues, I recommend you Google him, look up his website. Ravi Zacharias says, philosophically, you can believe anything so long as you do not claim it to be true. Morally, you can practice anything so long as you do not claim that it's a better way. Isn't that a great description of our culture? He's right on. That's the way we feel. It's affected the church as well. 57% of evangelical church attenders, according to a 2008 poll, said they believe many religions can lead to eternal life. So First Church, here's all I've come to do today. We're gathered this morning as believers on three campuses, and I realize there are seekers among us. I realize there are people listening in online who may be seeking truth about Jesus, and I want, I want you to know the church here would want me to say, you're always welcome. You're always welcome. In fact, part of your vision statement for First Church is this, to be a community where everyone is welcome. No one is perfect, and anything is possible. I like that. Everyone is welcome. But if you'll allow me this morning, I want to talk a bit to family this morning, those who claim to follow Jesus, and uh, if everyone else gets a little bit of help along the way, I'll be happy about that. And so here's my first reminder, reminder number one. Remind yourself to cling honestly to Jesus' teaching. You realize that's what makes you a follower of Jesus, don't you, when you cling to his teaching? That's what makes you a disciple of him. We're followers of Jesus if we're listening to and living by Jesus' teaching. I love what he said in John 8.31 because of a distinction he makes here. John 8.31. John says to the Jews who had believed in him. That's interesting. But guess what? That doesn't make you a follower of Jesus, a disciple. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. It's Jesus' way of saying, yes, you may start having some trust in me, but this is what makes you a follower. This is what makes you a learner. This is what makes you a disciple. If you hold to my teaching. That makes good sense. We used to have a, a lady, she was up in years when I met her in the Joplin area. Her name was Thora Shaw. All the jail inmates in the area called her Mama Shaw. Mama Shaw, and because she just took it upon herself, God called her to the ministry of just visiting those, and they, the, uh, those inmates could not get away with anything with Mama Shaw. She was, a straight, she was a straight talker, and they would go into what they often do, which is talking about their religious background, or I'm starting, I, I, I'm a Christian, and, and, and on and on and on and on, and Mama Shaw used to just get right in their face, and she'd say, honey, being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a Chevrolet. 
So just hang around, Jesus. It doesn't necessarily make you a disciple of Jesus. It's sticking to his teaching that makes you a disciple, a follower of Jesus. A couple of years ago, I received an email from an acquaintance, and this was the gist of his email. He said, I've been reevaluating Christianity. He'd been a believer all his life. I've been reevaluating Christianity. I still believe in Jesus, but his followers have changed his message. As you know, Griff, Jesus' message was love and only love. It's been changed to a message of judgment and exclusion, where it's Jesus' way or the highway. He even wrote that line we're all familiar with. We're just all in different religions, different roads, all headed to the same destination. And then he made his mistake. He closed out his email by saying, what do you think? Well, I'm big on permission. I'm big on permission, and I had it. I wrote back to my friend that, as a matter of fact, he had said love is the message of Jesus and only love. I wrote back to my friend, and I said, as a matter of fact, Jesus' message was never love. The gist of his message was not love. Now, I think the result of Jesus and his way is love. But that was not his message. The gist of Jesus' message was always himself, his identity. John 14, 6, he gathered those disciples and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When he had the disciples gathered together out there in the wilderness, here was his question to them, Matthew 16, 15. Who do the people say, I am? And when they gave a lot of other answers, he finally said, who do you say, I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ of God. In Acts 2.36, when Peter, in the very first gospel sermon, got to his conclusion, here's his conclusion. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made, listen to those words, God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter's message almost boils down to, God decided, Jesus is Lord, deal with it. It was followed by a lot of opposition and apostles were ordered to stop preaching Jesus in the city of Jerusalem. And that led Peter, who knew Jesus as well as anyone, to say in Acts 4.12, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. That was the thinking of Peter. Paul didn't disagree. When Paul came along later, 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul says, God wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. How's that going to happen? Verse 5, For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in his proper time. One mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. John, who by the way was called the Apostle of Love, didn't disagree. He wrote in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, this is the testimony, God has given to us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I wrote all that to my friend. 
And he wrote back and said, I think I'll reread the red letters in my Bible. Hey, let's at least start out this morning by saying, let's be honest with the teaching of Jesus as we think through these issues. We're followers of Christ. Here's the second reminder I want to offer for you. It just makes good sense that God would communicate his way about what he wants. Logic would suggest God would reveal, we call that revelation, how he wants us to know him and be right with him. The message of the Bible is that God, that God, that God knew we could never in our humanness just sort of simply try our own way and somehow stumble onto him. Can you imagine if we were left up to our own devices, laying our heads on our pillows at night, wondering, well, here's what I tried, but do I really know God? Have I really connected with God? And the message of the Bible is God knew that, and he took the initiative to say, here I am. I reveal this to you. I make myself known. John chapter 1, verse 18, I love this about our Lord. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who's at the Father's side, has made him known. Hebrews 1, 2. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Aren't you glad we have a communicating God? A God who says, this is who I am, this is what I want. Think about it this way. If you were seriously ill, and I had the remedy... There are a couple of ways I could allow you to find healing. One would be to simply stumble around and try what you want to try, and me knowing the remedy, hope you stumble onto it. The other way would be if I just simply reveal to you, hey, this will take care of your problem. This will take care of your sickness. Try our way or have it, have it, have it revealed to us. The message of the Bible is God knew that we could never simply stumble onto it, and he revealed to us what he wants. Hey, remember the words of John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has what? Has made him known. That's revelation. As a matter of fact, do you know what the earliest term was for believers in Jesus? They weren't early on called first church. They weren't early on called Christians. They were early on called people of the way. The way. It's used five times in the book of Acts to refer to believers in the early days. They're just people who have found the way, the road. They've accepted God's directions. And so in Acts chapter 9, when Paul, who is still Saul, persecuting believers, says in, in Acts chapter 9, verse 2, he went to Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Well, I don't want to lose you here. Catch this. Jesus himself in his teaching says, I am the way. Logic would suggest to us if there is a God we're going to find, he would reveal himself to us as opposed to let us stumble around on our own. But here's the third, and, I, and I'm not sure it's not the most important we sang about it, did we not, this morning. Reminder number three. The concept of many ways devalues the cross. Here's all I mean by that. 
if any way will get you to God as long as you're sincere, why did God go to all the trouble of having His Son suffer excruciating pain on the cross? Romans chapter 3, verse 25 says, God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. Catch those words. When, uh, when Mel Gibson's movie The Passion of Christ came out, it, it stirred up all that, who crucified Jesus, who do we, and, and so uh, comments of anti-Semitism were leveled against the movie and things, but was it the Romans who crucified Jesus? Was it the Jews who crucified Jesus? Well, historically, that might, that's a good historical debate, I suppose, and we could talk about that, but theologically, you know what the answer is about who crucified Jesus? Answer, the Father did. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. Why? Because he wants you to have life. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement. If any way, if any way was good to get us to God, why the pain and shame and sheer agony of the cross? Is God just some kind of sadistic torturer? Or was the cross necessary to allow God to be holy and demand the payment for sin and at the same time be loving and pay that penalty himself. Oh, the wisdom of the cross. The wisdom of the cross. If any other way would have worked, why the cross? Now, I readily admit for you, those first three reminders are purely to help us be honest with the teaching of Jesus and reason and the purpose of the cross. But as I take this home now, let me offer some other reminders and this is, where I, this, this is where I think we really need to zero in. Here's reminder number four. All that being true, our attitude is as important as our message. I remember being seated in the stands of our little hometown, Seneca, Missouri, a playoff football game with Branson, Missouri, and uh, we were the Seneca Indians, and I'm sitting here in the stands. Uh, boy, small-town football, I mean, it's great everywhere, but small-town football, it's, it's what we've got. You know what I'm saying? It's treated like church. You go downtown on Monday, you're walking the sidewalks, people say, well, I, I know you weren't in your seat Friday night. Where were you? <laughs> I, was, I was sitting there a few minutes before the game began. The, the noise was incredible. You could barely hear yourself think. But all of a sudden, there was a split second of silence where I could hear over my shoulder about two rows back a young girl say, a high school girl say, oh, that's Griff. Well, you know, I tried to... Oh, that's Griff. He's our preacher, but he's okay. <laughs> you know what the unfortunate thing is? I know what she meant, and so do you, don't you? Because being a Christian has made some people anything but okay. Being a believer has made some people harsh and judgmental and putting down and disrespectful toward those who are around them. How we offer the truth is as important as what we offer as truth. Ephesians 4.15, 4, Paul got at this when he said, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow up into Him who's the head, that is Christ. It's not merely how we grow up into Christ, however. It's how we get those from the world to even want to give attention to the, passage, to the message about Jesus. The two apostles most responsible for spreading the message about Jesus being the way to life 
the Apostle Peter being one, Paul being the other. Peter knew about this. 1 Peter 3.15 In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. You know what that means? That means you be genuine. You be sincere. In your hearts let Jesus be in charge. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I wrote in the margin of my Bible in 1 Peter 3.15, respectful evangelism. And I wrote it there because too much evangelism that I see is anything but respectful and gentle. It's a put-down to the people that God loves and wants to woo to His Son. Peter said, be ready to answer. In fact, notice that word he used, be ready to make an apologetic. But do it with gentleness and respect. Paul said, Colossians chapter 4, the other apostle who most spread the gospel, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. I tell some of my students, usually sophomores who now have enough information to be dangerous. I tell my students sometimes, sometimes the reason you have problems getting anyone to listen to your message is because when it comes to how to deal with people, you're just stupid. (laughs) I, I guess sometimes I can tell the truth. You hear what Paul said? Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Full of grace. I saw a church sign recently. The church sign outside was this. Coming to a neighborhood near you, the judgment of God. I thought, wow, how much are they paying that PR firm? (laughs) Coming to the judgment of God. I'm convinced Oscar Thompson was correct when he wrote, Most people have not rejected Jesus Christ. They merely reject a caricature of him. What they know about Jesus is what they see through the church. And sadly, too many times what they're rejecting is not Jesus. It's not Jesus and his people. It's a caricature and a harsh one. I love what Lewis Sperry Schaefer said, Spirituality hinders sin, but should never hinder the friendship and confidence of sinners. If our kind of spirituality makes Christ unattractive, it needs some drastic changes. It's his way of saying, attitude, attitude, along with the truth of our message. Here's reminder number five. Real love, I have to get this in, Real love does require a willingness to speak directly at times. Real love doesn't mean that you never say the harsh thing that needs to be said. Just imagine I was looking out my front glass and my little toddler son was out near the road, enamored in the ditch there with what I recognized as a poisonous snake. And uh, now I've, now I've got to think, and so here's what, here's what I think. Well, I don't want to upset him. I don't want to upset him. I want him to like me. No, 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 no. As a matter of fact, if you could see what happened out my front door as I bolted through, there would probably be neighbors calling Family Services of Missouri because it would look a little bit rough. And as I got near him, I wouldn't necessarily be worried about speaking tender, uh, compassionate words. I would probably do a linebacker drive into him. Uh, you, you know better than that looking at my build. It wouldn't really be a linebacker drive. Uh, 
I would, I would shove him out of the way and he, I'd get away from that. Why? Because, because I love him, I would be speaking harshly. I read recently that the, the idea that any way is okay as long as you're sincere is like telling a blind man standing at the edge of a cliff, go whichever way you choose, they're all equally safe. No, no, no. There's nothing loving about that. Sometimes you do have to say the harsh. But let me finish out this way. Reminder number six. Don't forget to focus on... You, you wonder why they pay us professors uh, big money? It's, it's, because it's, it's because we come up with terms like this. Don't forget the good stuff. Don't forget the good stuff. Jesus' message is exclusively, but what did we sing about? God called us out of the grave. He called us to life. 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has life. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Life, that's what we're offering people in Jesus. Life is what we want them to know. It's why God revealed himself in Jesus. I guess what I'm saying here is just simply this. In addition to the argumentation and the debate, when people ask and when we get the opportunity, we're also offering them the greatest of blessings in Jesus. He said things like this, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. That's good stuff. He said, come to me, oh my. At my age now, this may be one of the most precious promises Jesus has in Scripture. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. In addition to my arguments, is there anything in my life that would cause the person outside of Jesus to say, that looks good, I want that. I want what Jesus offers. Exclusive is a troubling term. It hurts when I think about those I love and care about who don't yet know Jesus. But I find a lot of comfort in Jesus' promise, Luke chapter 11, verse 10, everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be open. Here's the brilliant thing about God in addition to many. God knows those who sincerely want him and life. And he's a master at getting them together with people who know the message. He did that in Acts chapter 8 by taking Philip out of a Samaritan revival to a deserted road where there was one African on his way home who needed to hear. And Luke chapter 8, Luke says, he preached to him Jesus. Jesus. My son played baseball uh, through his growing up years. When he was about, I suppose, 12 years old, uh, we met on our little, our little town ball field, a team I'd never seen, led by a pitcher I'd never seen in my life, who was absolutely dominant for a 12, 13-year-old uh, boy. Uh, most, most, of our, most of our batters spent the whole day with this batting stance right here, uh, Eyes closed, lead foot out of the box, swinging, missing it off the end of the bat about that far. 
My own son, my, my own son struck out three. I can barely say it. <clears throat> my own son struck out three times that game, so you know the umpires were having trouble too. <laughs> After the game, we did what you have to do, and you parents and grandparents know this. Or by the way, it's in the parenting manual, chapter three, paragraph four, section seven, if I remember correctly. That following a little league ball game, you simply must stop by Dairy Queen on your way home. <laughs> Am I right, parents? So we did that. We finished our ice cream, my son, my wife, and I, and I looked across the store, and I saw two parents and that young man who had a gift. And I told my wife and son, I said, go on out to the car. This is not like me, by the way. I'm an introvert by nature, and I just hate to intrude on anybody's family time without being asked. But I told my wife, I said, go on out to the car. I have got to go tell that kid, good game. So I did the whole thing. I walked over there. They didn't... I'm so ridiculous, they didn't even notice me standing there at the end of the booth. And I finally gave it that. <coughs> they looked up at me. I said, listen, I saw you seated over here. Uh, my son's team is the team that your son, and I pointed at him, absolutely demolished a few minutes ago over on the ball field. And I said, I could not leave without saying, and I'm a baseball lover, that's all the reason I'm even doing this, quite frankly. I said, I, I leaned down. I said, I couldn't leave without doing this. And I just leaned down right toward the young man. I said, young man, I've never seen an arm like yours at your age. And quite frankly, you've got something special right now. I said, I've loved baseball all my life. I hope you love it all your life. But regardless, you work at it hard. Work at it hard because you've got a gift. And I said, it was a pleasure watching you pitch. And then I told his parents again, again, I'm sorry. I, I didn't mean to intrude, but I just had to tell your son that. And I left. That was the end of it until Tuesday night, the next week. When I got a phone call, and it was one of those, you got, I, I hated this through all my years of ministry, my wife coming toward me, said, it's, it's the phone. Who is it? It's for you. Who is it? It's for you. Hello? It's a female voice on the other end. Is this Griff? I said, yes, ma'am, this is Griff. She said, well, Griff... I don't, I don't want to frighten you. And of course, immediately I was frightened. <laughs> she said, I don't want to frighten you, but uh, uh, God uh, wanted me to call you. I think I said something faith-filled like, are you sure? <laughs> she said, yeah, I'm sure. She said, let me tell you what's going on. We met you... Uh, over the weekend at Dairy Queen after the ball game. Do you remember that? And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely, I remember that. And she said, well, my name's Dee. Let me tell you why I've called. She said, uh, my uh, husband and I are starting to have a few issues mar marriage-wise. She said, that's not why I'm calling you. Um, she said, my, uh, I've got another son who's starting to dabble in drugs. That's not why I'm calling you. She said, I've been detected to have a little bit of cancer. She said, we, we, we think we've got it early and we'll be all right. And, and she said, I, I, I always appreciate prayers about that, but she said, it's not why I'm calling you. She said, as you walked to your car the other night, I ran to the desk up front, and I said, does anybody know that man going to his car? And a little girl behind the counter said, yeah, that's Griff, he's our preacher. And she gave me your name and number. She said, none of that's why I'm calling you. She said, well, the reason I'm calling you is because for the last two, the last two months, every night, as I stand out watering my flower bed, I've been praying this prayer, God, if there is a God, 
I need someone to show me how to have life. And she said again, I don't want to scare you. And again, I had a little tingle down my back. But she said, you're the man. I don't keep a lot of stuff, memorabilia from ministry. I'm a pack rat by nature, and I've learned a long time ago to try to minimalize. I don't keep a whole lot of souvenirs, stuff like that. I got a little shoebox in the bottom of my closet, however, that has a card in it that simply says this. Thank you for being the one who led me to the one who gave me life. I will love you, and isn't this a beautiful word? I will love you eternally, D. Now, why did that take place? Because Griff was so super spiritual and recognized a witnessing opportunity? Absolutely not. Griff was a bumbling baseball fan, and that's all he was. That conversation happened because when Dee prayed in her front yard, God, if there is a God, there was one. And the good news, he wants us to have life. And he has offered that life in Jesus, our Savior. Your mission statement is this, at least part of it. You exist to obey Christ by helping others know, love, serve, and share him. I hope we all get a chance this week to do that. All the, think about all the places we're going to scatter. And may you get the opportunity this week to trust in him, to walk with him, to grow in him. And as you go, let's offer him. That's life. That's life. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this congregation of people who love Jesus and who are trying to walk a pretty tough terrain culturally in holding up Jesus, but it's because you love people. You so love the world that you gave, your only son. And so, Father, may we, as we go through our lives, may we be wise in the way we act toward outsiders. May we speak with gentleness and respect, and through that, may people meet the one who gives life. It's in his name we worship, and in his name we pray. Amen, amen.